A Black History Month conversation in this hour with Brandeis University Professor Chad Williams about how the scholar W.E.B. Du Bois might process this American moment. Dr. Williams is chair of the African American Studies Department at Brandeis and author of a forthcoming book about Dr. Du Bois, and I am anxious and uh, excited about having this conversation for the hour with Dr. Chad Williams. Professor Williams, how are you, sir? I'm well. Thanks for having me on. It's good to have you on. Thanks for taking the time. I'm glad we got an hour, a lot to talk about in this hour. Let me um, start with a couple of broad themes, and then we'll narrow our way as we move through uh, this hour. Um, first, I think I want to start with you uh, giving me some sense of the forthcoming book. It's called The Wounded World, W.E.B. Du Bois and the First World War. It comes out in April. Again, The Wounded World, W.E.B. Du Bois and the First World War. Um, take a few minutes here to tell me uh, what we're going to get in this text. Great. Uh, the Wounded World is about W.B. Du Bois, arguably the greatest black intellectual in American history, and his reckoning with the personal and historical legacies of the First World War. And in the book, I tell this story that's never been heard before of Du Bois and a massive book that he attempted to write on the black experience in the war and was never completed. And it ultimately reveal what it says about Du Bois and the broader meanings of race and democracy for black people in the 20th century. Mm-hmm. Um, just top line for me, um, uh, the black experience in World War, uh, in, the, in, in, in the First World War. Absolutely. So African Americans played a pivotal role in World War One. Approximately 380,000 African Americans served in the military. And Du Bois was deeply invested in African Americans proving their citizenship, proving their patriotism, very controversially, believing that the war would change the status of African Americans for the better. And as we know, certainly that didn't turn out to be the case. Mm-hmm. Um, so is that your way of suggesting to me or telling me in the audience that Du Bois supported African Americans fighting, uh, fighting in World War One? Du Bois fully supported African Americans fighting in World War One. He very controversially wrote an editorial titled Close Ranks, where he encouraged African Americans to forget their special grievances, right? To throw their support behind the Allies and to prove their Americanness. And he was actually accused of being a traitor to the race for calling for African Americans uh, to support their country in this way. And that trauma, uh, the wounds uh, from that criticism, really stayed with Du Bois throughout the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. I can imagine. Um, tell me, tell me more about why. Uh, again, we'll get into this more deeply when the book comes out in April. And I don't, I'm not going to spend the entire hour talking about the text per se. I want to have a broader conversation, as you heard me say a moment ago, about how Du Bois might process this particular American moment. And as you know, being a professor of these things, there are any number of ways to unpack that question. So we're going to have some fun uh, just trying yeah. to unpack what Du Bois would be saying about this American moment on a variety of levels, politically, economically, socially, culturally. We'll get to that as we move through the hour. Uh, but, but some might be shocked, uh, Dr. Williams, to hear you say that Du Bois, this great black noted intellectual, the first African-American uh, noted uh, intellectual, first African-American to get a Ph.D. from Harvard, um, they might be surprised to hear you say that Du Bois asked black folk to set aside their special grievances and fight on behalf of a country that had done nothing but maltreat them. you got to unpack that a little bit more for me. Absolutely. 
So this is a theme that I explore in the book, and this is what Du Bois talked about in his classic book, The Souls of Black Folk, the Mm -hmm. double consciousness that African Americans confronted of being black on the one hand and being American on the other and trying to reconcile that painful tension. And Du Bois felt that the war, that patriotic service would be an opportunity to reconcile that tension. And he was wrong. Um, And he spent much of his life after the war trying to come to terms with his decision and ultimately the failure of that decision. Mm. Um, Tell me more about the critique um, that uh, Du Bois received for making this, uh, this suggestion. Absolutely. So at the time, you had other African Americans like A. Philip Randolph, like Hubert Harrison, more radical African Americans who were insisting that this was the moment that African Americans needed to fight for their rights, to not set aside their special grievances, but to use the war as an opportunity to make an even stronger push for their civil rights. Um, And they were the individuals who criticized Du Bois the most. And ultimately, in the end, they proved to be correct. Mm. So that um, Du Bois, if I understand your argument and what's going to be uh, forthcoming in this text, saw black people fighting in World War I as a means to an end? Absolutely. And, you know, this is something that I think African Americans still grapple with today. What does it mean to support a country? What does it mean to volunteer, to fight and even die for a country while still not being treated as an equal citizen and oftentimes not even as an equal human being. So Du Bois was trying to find an answer to that question in 1918, the same question that we're still trying to find an answer to in 2023. Indeed, we're still wrestling with that question, and and here is the question, it seems to me, given what you just said. Uh, and the word and the key phrase here is the word die. Uh, it's mm. it, That's the key phrase. I want to come to that. I think you probably know where I'm going here. That uh, while we are celebrating President's Day today, um, presidents um, have the authority and the ability uh, to uh, send American troops around the globe to fight in wars, uh, whether or not we think they're good ideas or not. Vietnam was clearly a mistake. I'm jumping ahead here now, of course. Vietnam was clearly a mistake, the worst mistake we've ever made militarily in this country, and yet Thousands and thousands of American uh, soldiers died in that war. And so, I'm gonna, I, again, I want to come back to this word die because what Du Bois is essentially arguing is that as a strategy, as a means to an end, uh, to eventually press uh, more aggressively our right for citizenship, black folks should set aside their special grievances. And let me be, you know, let me be exacting here. Put their lives on the line. <laughs> Run the Absolutely. risk. Run the risk of coming back stateside in a body bag, for mm-hmm. the sake of pressing our grievance about the issue specifically of citizenship. Now, to your point, a few times now, it didn't actually work out that way. Uh, but you're getting you're giving us a different way to seeing Du Bois um, that he would suggest that we put our lives on the line um, to yeah. make the case to them that we deserve to be citizens. Say a brief word about that, if you will. 
Absolutely. That's exactly how Du Bois felt. And he wasn't alone in thinking that way. He was hearkening back to the Civil War, uh, to the Spanish-American War, to the service of the Buffalo Soldiers, this rich tradition of African-Americans serving in the military. But he realized, especially in the aftermath of World War I, uh, when black soldiers were coming home to lynch mobs and race riots throughout the country, that military service, that war itself, was not a way to advance the cause of African-Americans. American civil rights, and ultimately not the way to advance the cause of humanity itself. Mm. Well, you said it correctly, though. It's a question that we're still wrestling with. Here we are in 2023, and there are people uh, today still debating uh, and still, uh, uh, you know, processing this notion of what um, a black person gets out of joining the military. Uh, yes. And that argument is dynamic. It's organic. There are answers on both sides of that equation. But at the end of the day, when you join the military, there is always the chance that you could be sent somewhere uh, and your life put on the line for a country that still in 2023 treats black folk in many respects like second class citizens. I suspect it's a debate we'll have for time eternal. I digress mm -hmm. on that point. When we come forward with Dr. Chad Williams, uh, a broader conversation about uh, W.B. Du Bois, the first noted black public in, uh, intellectual period. Uh, and uh, how he might process this moment that we're trying to navigate ourselves through. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. Conversations that matter. matter. You're listening to Tavis Smiley on KBLA Talk 1580. Our guest at this hour is uh, Dr. Chad Williams. Uh, he uh, has a forthcoming book about um, the first noted uh, black intellectual, W.B. Du Bois. The book comes out in April. Uh, we're in February, of course, in Black History Month, uh, so no uh, better time to talk about Du Bois than Black History Month. Um, but this book drops in April. It's called The Wounded World, W.B. Du Bois and the First World War. Again, comes out uh, just a couple of months from now, but we're honored uh, to be joined in this hour uh, by the author of that forthcoming text, who we'll have back on when the book comes out, I'm sure. Uh, but uh, Dr. Chad Williams is uh, our guest in this hour, professor uh, at Brandeis uh, University. So I, I said a, a moment ago that I want to spend the rest of this hour trying to get a better sense of how we think uh, Dr. Du Bois would process this particular American moment that we are trying to uh, navigate our way through. And for the mm -hmm. sake of uh, making this uh, uh, somewhat uh, easier to do, because again, with Du Bois, you can spend hours, right? I mean, hours, days, weeks, months just unpacking. Oh, believe me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Unpacking his corpus, his body of work, man. And trying Absolutely. to pull and trying to pull some takeaways, but I want to put this in four categories. And I recognize there'll, there'll be some bleed here and there, so don't don't mm -hmm. don't feel offended by that, uh, or feel or, or feel handicapped by that. But I want to cover this in four areas: now, politically, uh, socially, economically, and culturally. Politically, mm -hmm. socially, economically, and culturally. Those are the four uh, areas that I want to uh, sort of uh, help you get you rather to help us unpack. Uh, how Du Bois might see the moment that black people in particular are, are processing their way through. Let's start with with, 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 with politically. So yep. the, the broad question is, and you run with it, politically, uh, again, it's big, it's broad, I get it. So that's, I want to give you as much canvas as you need to paint. Politically, mm -hmm. how would Dr. Du Bois, given what he had to say then, let me just let me just put opinions for you, just, just a quick second. Um, you may have heard uh, a, a promo while you were on hold uh, waiting to resume this conversation. Um, we are doing a conversation with Martin and Malcolm. I am doing a conversation with Martin mm. and Malcolm 
on the 28th of this month. So literally a week from tomorrow, we've been promoting this. And people are like, what is this? Somebody asked me the other day and they saw me somewhere. Tabis, is this a seance? I say, no, it's not. <laughs> it's, not it's, it's not a seance, man. Uh, what it is, it's a one-hour radio play mm. where we imagine Martin and Malcolm coming back to Earth 50 years plus after their assassinations. Mm. They come back to Earth and they sit for a conversation with a guy named Tavis Smiley <laughs> about all of these contemporary issues that we are facing. I think, uh, Professor Williams, what the audience is going to take away from this, given the, the following, and this is the key point, what they're going to hear in this conversation called The Return is me engaged in conversation with Martin and Malcolm about contemporary issues, but the words they are speaking are words they already spoke. Yes. So you see where I'm going with this, right? You're going to hear yep. them talking in real time about real issues, but all of these words are taken from their body of work. Mm -hmm. And so I, I hope in Black History Month, folk will get a different take on Martin and Malcolm and what they would have to say about contemporary issues uh, that we are wrestling with. I feel the same way about Du Bois yep. in that regard, that so much of what Du Bois had to say then is still applicable today to the challenges that black people face. So again, politically, socially, economically, and culturally, I want to sort of uh, just sort of tap into Du Bois's thinking. So with that said, politically, sure. how would Du Bois process the moment that we are in? So is it too late to add Du Bois to your to your conversation with, with Martin and Malcolm? <laughs> you know what? That, that's a good idea for another conversation. So we'll, we'll figure out something to talk about Du Bois one day, but I, yeah. I appreciate the question. I appreciate the question. But but I think you what, what you said is so important in thinking about not just uh, Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, but Du Bois as prophetic figures. Yes. and Du Bois in his in his writings, and over an incredible span of time, he lived ninety five years. Was born in eighteen sixty eight in Great Barrington, Massachusetts. Died in Ghana That's in right. nineteen sixty three, literally on the eve of the March on Washington. Mm -hmm. So he experienced nearly a century. Of, of life and all the changes uh, related to the black experience that came along uh, with that. Um, so he was someone who was, was singularly aware kind of, of what it meant to be black at different moments in time and was able to change his thinking, his approaches uh, to the, the larger question of black political freedom, depending on the circumstances and depending on kind of how his ideological views uh, were at the time. Mm. When you say that Du Bois had the experience of, and I had never thought about it in this way, that's why I love doing this program every day. As I say all the time, I always walk out of here smarter than I came in. I have never, ever heard what you just said in the way you explained it, and it's got me thinking now. Du Bois, mm -hmm. did, du Bois did live a long time, and there's a question to ask about the March on Washington, but I'll get to it in a second here. But because he lived so long and lived through such a tumultuous period of black life in America, eventually deciding to just leave America, as you mentioned earlier, and just go to right. Ghana. He gave up on America, he gave up on the American experiment and just went to Ghana. Um, but because he was black for so long, 95 years, um, he was, in fact, black during different iterations of our struggle. And had right. to then adjust his worldview to the particular moment that black folk found themselves in. Um, in our lifetimes, um, I'm not sure that we're wrestling um, with the same thing. Maybe we are. Maybe I'm understating it. Talk to me, though, about, about us, everyday people, black people, 
in this moment in the lives that we're living and whether or not what we're doing causes us or should cause us to adjust our thinking about how we navigate this journey. Does that make sense? I think so. And to your point, uh, Du Bois lived during a time when African-Americans were largely stripped of the right to vote, right. Uh, were almost universally disenfranchised, um, and died at a time uh, in 1963 when African-Americans were fighting to regain uh, the right to vote. So I think in our current moment, it's really imperative that we understand history, that we understand the historical journey for political rights, uh, for citizenship that African-Americans um, have in endured uh, throughout uh, the late uh, 19th uh, century up until uh, the 21st century. Um, and to use that kind of as a, a guiding post for how we think about uh, the meaning of black politics and the meaning of citizenship uh, in our current moment. Yep. I, I was, let me try this again. I was, I was struggling trying to make a point here. And I, let me try it one more time. I, I'm, I'm trying to, again, compare and contrast Du Bois's moment and the present American moment we find ourselves in. And I, I don't know, I'm, I'm in my 50s now, I don't know that in my lifetime I've seen a great deal of, how might I put this? I don't know that I've seen, uh, I, I don't see, I don't know that I've seen enough up and down. I don't, I don't know that I've seen enough change and challenge given the condition that we are in that makes me rethink how I process being black, uh, mm -hmm. how I process the moment that we are in. What I'm getting at is that nothing fundamentally has changed about our existence during my lifetime. We're still mm. the last hired, still the first fired. Uh, we're still yeah. the subject uh, of, of, of police brutality. I mean, I can run the list. You know where I'm going here. But again, mm -hmm. because Du Bois lives so long and lives at a critical time where things are, in fact, changing so fast, he has to change his view. I don't know that I've changed my view about the journey that I'm on as a black man, given that ain't nothing around me changed. Does that, does, does that right. make sense? I think it does. Uh, in Du Bois's book, The Souls of Black Folk, he has this incredibly powerful chapter titled The Meaning of Progress, right. you know, where he's questioning just how much has changed, how much has changed from slavery um, up until the early 20th century when he writes that classic text. And I think, you know, we're still very much within our rights to ask that question uh, today um, and to really think about the ways in which anti-blackness is embedded into the fabric um, of this country and the ways that it manifests itself in so many different aspects of our everyday lives. Mm -hmm. um, what do you make of the fact, I, I am always fascinated by this, and those who listen to my program regularly have heard me remind them or share this factoid with them, uh, perhaps on more than one occasion, but since we're talking about Du Bois, and you mentioned earlier that uh, uh, he died uh, on the eve of the Civil Rights uh, March in Washington, uh, um, it's worth going back to. Um, how do you process the fact, because um, it's just eerie for me, that because Du Bois dies in Ghana, which is a world away at that time, and there were no cell phones, where there weren't there weren't text <laughs> messages, uh, there weren't text messages then where we could find out something in an instant. He dies in Ghana, but it takes a while for the word to get back to the U.S. And they literally, during the march on Washington, from the podium, announced that Du Bois had died in Accra, Ghana. It's yeah. it's it's a it's quite a moment when you when you when you listen to the run of show that day at the march mm -hmm. on Washington. Uh, April 28, 1963, to hear them announce his passing in Ghana during that march. This is Du Bois. I mean, yeah. it's, it's just kind of, ooh, what, what, what do you make of that? Well, people who were there uh, remarked that it felt like his spirit 
was over the Washington Mall uh, yeah. that day. Yeah. Um, and Roy Wilkins said that if you want to understand why we are here in 1963, go back and read a copy of The Souls of Black Folk, published in 1903. Du Bois was really the father of the modern civil rights movement. And many of the struggles that took place during the 1960s uh, were as a result um, of the foundations that he laid, uh, many of the struggles that we are still engaged in uh, today, uh, Du Bois was engaged in uh, during his time. Yep. Uh, I get this, but I want to ask it anyway, just to see where you're going to go with this, because I, 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 I'm, sure I'm sure there's something here. Um, we were talking about Martin and Malcolm earlier, and when you add Du Bois to the conversation, you referred to them all as prophetic figures. Uh, indeed, mm -hmm. I think they, they were. But when you refer to Du Bois specifically as a prophetic figure, by that you mean what exactly? How, how would you frame that? I think you could frame it in, in a number of different ways. Uh, certainly his clairvoyance, his historical insight, uh, being able to understand the ways in which history has shaped uh, America and the experiences um, of black folk um, still resonant today. But I think you could also, you know, look at him in also a almost, you know, spiritual uh, sense, um, the religiosity that, that underpins uh, a lot um, of his work. Uh, du Bois had a very uh, profound connection to, as he described in the title of his book, The Souls of, of Black Folk. Um, and I think he was able to connect with the, the very complex meanings of, of what it meant to be black in a way that really no other black intellectual in this country's history has been able to do. We're having a Black History Month conversation about um, the life and legacy, the impact of W.B. Du Bois, specifically in this hour, how Du Bois uh, might process this particular and, I might add, peculiar American moment that we black folk find ourselves in. As you well know, he was the first African-American to receive a Ph.D. from Harvard. And all these years later, we are still talking about the grand contributions of W.E.B. Du Bois. Dr. Chad Williams has a new book about Du Bois coming out in April. And so no better scholar to have on as our guest in this hour during Black History Month talking about the impact all these years later of W.E.B. Du Bois. We've uh, addressed the issue of uh, how he might process the political moment that we are in when we come forward after news, traffic, and sports. How would he process this economic situation, the cultural moment, the social moment? So much more to get into about Du Bois with Williams and Smiley when we come forward on KBLA Talk 15. Uh, all right. Um, in this hour, we continue our conversation now with uh, Dr. Chad Williams uh, talking in this Black History Month 2023 uh, about W.B. Du Bois, the first noted black intellectual, uh, and how he might uh, in Black History Month and beyond uh, uh, process um, how we are navigating this particular moment. Uh, we've been, uh, we're talking in this hour about how he would see this moment politically, economically, culturally, and socially. We've addressed um, his views perhaps on, on the political moment that we find ourselves in. We'll get to the other three in just a second. After I ask our guest, Brandeis Professor Chad Williams, who has a book coming out in April uh, about Dr. Du Bois, um, to unpack that point about the religiosity underpinning, underpinning that is, underpinning mm. Du Bois' work. Um, I think when most of us think about Du Bois, we think of him as, a, as an intellectual, not so much making a connection to your point about religiosity that undergirded his work. Say a bit more about that, if you will. 
Yeah, Du Bois, he wasn't someone who actively went to church or ascribed to a specific uh, religious or theological doctrine, Mm -hmm. but he was deeply spiritual. Uh, He recognized the importance of religion um, in the black experience, uh, and all of his, his texts um, particularly his most famous book, The Souls of Black Folk, are infused with a type of spirituality and recognition of the ways uh, in which a, a higher power um, has uh, kind of inspired, uh, but also um, undergirded uh, the uh, survival of black people in this country. Yep. Uh, du Bois knew well um, the notion and the narrative of black people being three-fifths of a person. He wrote about it, of course, as you well know. Um, so we are at, at once three fifths of a person, um, politically in this country. Uh, and now here we are in 2023 and I just shared with an audience the other day that we are still three fifths of a person economically speaking. I mean by that, that Mm. black folk earn, uh, today three fifths of what white people earn in this country. So economically speaking, we're still three fifths of a person. How would Du Bois process, uh, the fact that economically not a whole lot has changed for black people in America. Yeah, I think it's really important to bring that point up when we talk about Du Bois. And this is something that I discuss in my, my forthcoming book, his ideological evolution, how by the 1930s and 1940s, he really saw the economic question and the larger problem of capitalism and racial capitalism specifically as being the main issue that African Americans and other peoples of African descent throughout the world needed to address. So he would most certainly see the condition that the vast majority of black folk are in uh, today as symptomatic of the larger problem um, of capitalism and class inequality. Let me circle back to what we talked about earlier when, when you identified all three of these persons, Martin and Malcolm and Du Bois. Martin and Malcolm, of course, the, the subjects of our February 28th uh, conversation called The Return, uh, exclusively here on KBLA Talk for Canadian. But you had Du Bois in that list. Uh, uh, Professor Williams referred to all three of them earlier in this conversation as prophetic figures, Du Bois, uh, Martin, and Malcolm. And I'm thinking as you're talking now about the way Du Bois uh, grew uh, on that question uh, of economics and black people. Martin did the same thing. Malcolm did the same thing. Yeah. It is it is the case that all three of them essentially focused their work initially on civil rights, if I can put it broadly this way, C I V I L. But as they live, as they grow, as they as they really uh, drill down on the condition of black folk in this country, they move from C I V I L to S I L V E R, from civil to silver rights. Um, what do you make of the fact that again, all three prophetic figures, as you uh, as you identify them, but they all walk that same journey. Mm, absolutely. And I think that's what makes all three of them so unique is their capacity to, uh, for change, their capacity to to think about and analyze the conditions that black people um, are facing and change their ways of thinking, change their approaches uh, accordingly. And as you mentioned, uh, by the time Martin Luther King uh, Jr. Um, is assassinated in uh, 1968, he's planning the Poor People's March. Mm-hmm. He's you know, recognizing that it's the economic conditions uh, that black people are facing, that the entire country is facing, um, that need to be uh, addressed and confronted, really very much uh, ideologically aligned. Uh, with W.B. Du Bois in that regard. Indeed. Um, these next two categories uh, that we're trying to use as a way to assess 
uh, how do boys would process this moment. Uh, there will be some bleed, no question about it. So I'll put it out there, and you frame it the way you want to frame it. But culturally, socially, talk to me about how do boys would process this moment for black people in America. Yeah, I think Du Bois would recognize the ways in which we have moved forward uh, from uh, some of the kind of horrific and pernicious ways that African Americans um, were treated uh, in uh, the late 19th and early uh, 20th century. Uh, but he would also uh, be very critical um, of many of the things that are happening in the country uh, today, uh, whether it's the attacks on black history, uh, whether it's the continued uh, attacks on black life um, in the form of police violence, uh, whether it's the continued kind of uh, cultural uh, debasement uh, that uh, many white people continue uh, to engage in uh, when it comes to, uh, to, to black people. So he would, I think, recognize change, but he would also uh, be very vigilant about what still uh, needs to happen to improve uh, the social and uh, cultural conditions of black life. So here's a question that is, um, is interesting to ask, because as I ask it, I want to get your take on this, and I also want to get your take on what Du Bois's take on this would be. So it's a, it's a twofer, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, when you mention uh, the banning of black history and the banning of books, it is the case right now, as you well know, that there is much of what Du Bois wrote and said that it is now in real time illegal to teach in the state of Florida. Right. Uh, and not just Florida, other states are going to be lining up the same way. Texas, Arizona, um, run the list. Um, but here we are now in 2023. And after all that Du Bois wrote and that after all that Du Bois fought for, again, politically, economically, socially and culturally on our behalf, um, it is the case again in 2023 that much of what he wrote, it is illegal in this present moment to teach in the state of Florida. What do you think Du Bois would say about this democracy that he gave up on and just went to Ghana over that in 2023, his stuff can't be taught in Florida? And as a scholar on Du Bois, how do you process that? A two part question. Forgive me, but take it away. I think Du Bois would, would not be surprised. Uh, he anticipated this uh, in his classic book, Black Reconstruction, which he wrote in 1935. He talked about the propaganda of history. He talked about how history and education uh, more broadly had been manipulated, uh, filled with lies and propaganda to justify the social, political, cultural, and economic marginalization of black people and to justify white supremacy more broadly. So he would not be surprised by this moment. He would also see it as fundamentally undemocratic. Um, And something that I talk about in my book is how he became very critical of the very idea of American democracy and realizing that America, by its actions, was not, in fact, a real democracy. Mm. I'm glad you said that. Uh, And I'm glad you quoted Du Bois, (laughs) or referenced Du Bois, and saying that I've said a thousand times, as this audience has heard, that we are not a democracy. America is, at best, an experiment in democracy. Uh, we've got a Madisonian framework for it, as Connie Rice says all the time, but we are not as yet uh, a democracy. We are at best an experiment in democracy, and you hear now Professor Williams suggesting that Du Bois, in fact, felt the same way. So I'm in good company. I'm smiling now. Uh, I feel a little better that uh, I'm in the, the same uh, company with Du Bois on that question. Um, you heard me say earlier in this conversation, Du Bois eventually gave up on America. That's the way I put it. He just left. 
and went to Ghana in part because of what Professor Williams just teed up, the ways he was viewing American democracy and the, and the way, the direction it was not headed in. We'll get uh, Professor Williams to unpack that uh, a bit more when we come forward. And the second part of my question he didn't get to as yet, which is how he processes as a Du Boisian scholar with all that Du Bois has to offer us as a scholar, how he processes that Du Bois' stuff cannot be taught in Florida and beyond right now. A great deal more to get to with Dr. Chad Williams when we come forward talking about Du Bois in Black History Month only on KBLA Talk 158. Dr. Chad Williams, talk to me uh, about uh, how, as a scholar, you process um, the fact that uh, Du Bois' work, much of it, uh, cannot be taught in places like Florida these days. Well, I consider myself to be a scholar of black studies. Uh, I come out of a black studies tradition um, that is kind of rooted in political activism, which is rooted in understanding the ways in which the study of black life, the critical study of black life, are inextricably connected to the broader struggles for black freedom and citizenship and, and equality. So the way I approach the, this moment is as a continuation of the long battle that W.B. Du Bois was engaged in, that Carter G. Woodson, the founder of Black History Month, was uh, engaged in. Uh, the fight for black history, the fight for African-American studies has been a fight from the start, and that's going to continue today and continue into the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and how should we process all these years later uh, that Du Bois, with all that, <laughs> uh, I, I sometimes uh, I scratch my head when I think about this, and, and, I, and I get it from his perspective, uh, but you think of all that Du Bois wrote, all of his research, all of his public musings, just his entire body of work, his work and his witness, uh, and at the end, he decided, I'm just leaving. He just gave up on this notion of American democracy. How do you process that? Yeah, I think it's a really powerful moment when Du Bois, uh, keeping in mind that this is during the height of the Cold War, he's being persecuted by the federal government, um, when he realizes that he is better off fighting for democracy outside of the United States, um, of finding a home uh, in Africa, in Kwame Nkrumah's uh, independent Ghana, uh, recognizing that it's from that distance where he can have the most uh, impact in these last few years of his life, of his life uh, to voice um, a critical perspective on what democracy means. Um, he still believed in the potential, the promise of, of American democracy, but certainly believed by his final days that America was failing to live up to its highest ideals. Mm. Tell me more about his critique of American democracy in those final years. I think that critique of American democracy really begins, kind of as I discuss in my forthcoming book, uh, during World War I, mm -hmm. uh, a war that was supposedly fought to make the world safe for democracy, right? And after Americans come home to, to lynchings and racial violence, Du Bois was deeply disillusioned, um, especially considering he supported uh, the war. Uh, so throughout the 1920s and 30s uh, and uh, throughout World War II itself, you know, he's reckoning with the meaning of American uh, democracy, um, all the way up until the end of his life, uh, where, as I said, he makes the decision that he's going to fight for democracy outside um, of the United States, because American democracy was not protecting him. 
Yeah. When we come forward, I think I can guess the answer to this question, and I'm sure you can as well. But I want to ask it nonetheless, because uh, you never know where the question might take you. And that is um, uh, asking Dr. Williams um, his take on how do boys' work holds up all these years later. We were talking earlier about Martin and Malcolm, and we'll feature them, their voices, and their work in a conversation called The Return a week from tomorrow here on this program. Uh, so we'll, uh, we'll get a chance to interrogate what they had to say then and how it fits in this current moment with the contemporary, the, uh, contemporary issues that we are addressing and facing. But how does, when you look back on it, uh, Du Bois' work, his, his predictions, his, his, his prophetic witness, how does it hold up all these years later? We'll get that question uh, to Dr. Chad Williams when we come forward in our remaining moments with him. You're listening to KBLA Talk 15. Got a few minutes left in this hour in conversation with Brandeis University Professor Chad Williams, who has a forthcoming book uh, about Du Bois, uh, dropping in April. The book is called The Wounded World, W.E.B. Du Bois and the First World War. It drops in April. Uh, and uh, Professor Williams, let me close with a couple of questions uh, about Du Bois' work all these years later. Uh, the broad question is uh, how, as you uh, delve into his work for your forthcoming book, how his work holds up. Du Bois was remarkable. He he wrote 22 single-authored books. He wrote hundreds of articles and editorials covering history, sociology, literature, philosophy. But I think the single thread, the unifying thread throughout his work is his fundamental belief in the humanity of black people. Mm. And that's incredibly important for us to remember today, um, to remember that black people, as he talked about in the souls of black folk, are not a problem, uh, but a beautiful people. Um, and he used his voice, he used his writings to demonstrate the full complexity and beauty of black life. Um, and those are our lessons in all of his works uh, that we need to, to go back uh, and take advantage of. We, est we established earlier in this conversation that there were those uh, persons living then and some certainly since then who think Du Bois was wrong about the fact that black folk should have uh, fought in World War One. Black folk, of course, have fought in every war. Uh, in uh, since the, the history, the founding of this nation, we fought in every single war. Make no mistake about that. Uh, but his his argument that we should set aside our special grievances and uh, mm. fight in World War One um, to press the issue of our citizenship again, as you said earlier, there are folk in that time who disagree with him, and folks since then who disagree with him. Which leads me to close uh, our conversation with this as the exit question: whether or not even beyond that, uh, Du Bois made any missteps when you look back on people's work. Uh, with history uh, as your as your as your prism, uh, oftentimes, including my hero Dr. King, you can see missteps and mistakes that they made. Did Du Bois make any missteps? Du Bois was human, and Du Bois was wrong uh, about his decision to support World War One. Uh, in many respects, uh, World War One was a complete failure. Uh, du Bois's decision to support the war uh, was a failure. But I think it's through that experience of failure where we see Du Bois change, evolve, and grow uh, into the uncompromising anti-war activist that he was by the time of World War II and uh, in its aftermath. I think we can learn from making mistakes, from experiencing failure uh, to grow and to be better people for it. Mm. I want to thank Brandeis Professor Dr. Chad Williams uh, for this hour. 
uh, unpacking as best we could in 60 minutes, um, just kind of top lining because his corpus is so deep, as you heard him say, 20 plus um, uh, 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 books authored uh, singularly by uh, by Du Bois, not to mention all his other work. Uh, so it's a it's a it's a massive body of work. Um, but to be able to just tap in for a few moments uh, into that body of work and to get a sense of how Du Bois might process the moment that we are currently navigating in Black History Month. 2023. I've enjoyed this conversation immensely. He's a professor again at Brandeis. His book is called The Wounded World, W.E.B. Du Bois and the First World War. It drops in April. We'll talk to him, I suspect, around that time about uh, more detail in the book once it's completed. Professor Williams, good to have you on. All the best to you, sir. Thank you for your time today. We appreciate you. All right. Thank you. Enjoyed the conversation. I I enjoyed it as well. When we come forward, uh, our final hour is the domain of the motivator, Les Brown, with his radio residency, which continues through the 28th of this month, the last day of Black History Month. You've got to be hungry with Les Brown after news, traffic, and sports on KBLA Talk 15.